From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters Defense with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. Every Wednesday, we focus on defense. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Navy needs 9,000 new sailors to fill vacancies that are holding back the force's readiness. The Navy's new budget request includes $33.9 billion for personnel in fiscal year 2021. Defense News reports Chief of Naval Personnel Vice Admiral John Knoll says the Navy's committed to closing gaps at sea as fast as possible. The Air Force will retire some of its legacy aircraft to focus more money on space and future capabilities. Air Force Deputy Assistant Secretary for Budget Major General John Pletcher says the force will cut some of its KC-10s and KC-35s and its, quote, least capable B-1 bombers. Breaking Defense reports Space Force would get $15.3 billion in the president's budget proposal. The Army has a new program for assigning soldiers. The new automated system uses what the Army calls back-of-the-resume data to place soldiers in the Army Talent Alignment Program. FCW reports the program had a few mismatches that placed soldiers in roles they didn't qualify for, but the Army wants to increase and improve data collection for future use. The new fiscal year 2021 budget request includes more money for the Pentagon's research and development budget. The R&D budget would be $2 billion more than it was this year. Bob Work is former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense. Bob, welcome back. What's your main takeaway as you look at the numbers that came out Monday? Well, the first thing is the Trump bump in defense spending is over, mm -hmm. it looks like. Uh, this is slightly smaller budget than was last year, and the Department of Defense is now settling in, assuming that over the next five years they will essentially have flat budgets getting inflation. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that Secretary Esper has made clear that he wants to ruthlessly implement the national defense strategy and the budget reflects those priorities. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, the number one priority in the department is to recapitalize the strategic deterrent of the country. I think number two is space, which reflects the, uh, President Trump's space force. And uh, the reflection on very high technology, uh, the four areas that the budget really points out is hypersonics, very fast uh, missiles, uh, 5G communications and microelectronics, uh, and then AI, and finally autonomy, which is what you get from AI. So these four areas are uh, highlighted in the budget, as is readiness. So I think that it is a very credible um, support for the national defense strategy. I know you don't care about this personally because it's not the way you think, but I teased you a bit before we went on the air. It's an awful lot of third offset stuff in this budget. That must be gratifying at least. Well, um, yes, I can find an awful lot that uh, we can draw directly from the latter or the second uh, um, Obama administration, where the department started to turn its attention towards Russia and China, who are very, very credible and pressing competitors. We call them pacing threats. Um, and those, uh, you need to have more higher technology because both Russia and China are really pushing us in the high technology front. And we count on military technical superiority. So this budget is saying we need to really look at that and make sure that we attain it and sustain it. 
I mentioned the increase in the R&D budget at the beginning of our conversation, Bob, and that's interesting to me because for a long time there was this dialogue between the building and the defense industrial base. Building said, we want you to do more R&D and present us with innovative ideas, and the DIB companies would say, well, we'd love to do that if we have some assurance that the investments that we make will demonstrate a return on that investment at some point in the future. This strikes me as the department saying, we're, we want to go back to the model uh, that existed for a long time, which was the Defense Department would determine what it needed, what it thought innovation was, and then would demonstrate to industry this is what we want. Is that what you see when you look at this? Yes, I think so in the broadest sense. And you also have to, there is no market in the commercial sector for hypersonics. Right. So uh, the Department of Defense has to spend that money. Uh, there's a lot of money being spent on 5G and on microelectronics, but what the department is really focused on is trusted microelectronics, making sure that the supply chain is totally clean um, and that we have uh, ready access to all of the um, materials and foundries, et cetera, to make them. And then AI and autonomy, there's a lot going on in the uh, commercial sector, but specific defense applications, the Department of Defense has to take the lead. Um, Secretary Esper has talked about making a pivot, and the way I see the pivot is in two ways. One is he talks a lot about really focusing on new war plans uh, against our great power competitors. These war plans are designed for deterrence. Mm -hmm. It's designed to tell us what type of capabilities we need to buy, how we will posture our force, how will we um, decrease the likelihood of a war. So he really focuses the, on next year, we're gonna have new war plans that guide us. Uh, and the second thing is in the RDT&E realm. We're moving out of the hardcore RDT&E. For the last two years, we've had a lot of RDT&E spending. Last year was the largest RDT&E budget in 70 years, and as you said in your opening, this is $2 billion more. Mm -hmm. But we're shifting more from the hardcore science and technology to prototyping and getting the things that we've been testing and experimenting on in the last two years into the force. So I see this pivot as now we're going after the capabilities into the force rather than doing research and development. The emphasis there is on speed. Every branch talks about it. Every secretary and every uniformed officer talks about speed and the importance of increasing it. Is it possible to do these things too fast, Bob? Yes, it is. You have to ask the right question and have a sense on what the right answer is before you press off. There are certain areas called spiral development where you don't have the money and you can't go as far as you would want. Technology hasn't quite matured yet, so you make spiral zero. And then a little bit later, the technology matures and you upgrade the system. So in that sense, I think spiral development is still alive in the department in a big way. But the big thing, well, let's give an example. The Army's OM, uh, uh, optionally manned fighting vehicle, the replacement for their Bradley mm -hmm. infantry fighting vehicle. They just asked for too much. They asked for a system that was heavy enough to be protected against advanced Russian weaponry, like in Europe, but you had to be able to fit two on a C-17 aerial transport, and it had to be ready to fight 15 minutes after it rolled off the aircraft. Industry said, okay, we might be able to get there, but not in the timeline yeah. that you want. You're asking too fast. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Army 
ultimately agreed and said, yes, we made, uh, you know, we're going to reset and we're going to re-ask. So it is possible to go too fast, and we see evidence of that right now. So much more I'd love to cover, and we're out of time, Bob. Thanks for coming on, as it's always. great to be here. Up next, more on the fiscal year 2021 budget request. Straight ahead on Government Matters, shifting money from tail to tooth. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Welcome back. The president's new 2021 defense budget cuts funds for most defense organizations outside the military by about 5%. Overall, military spending would increase by 0.3%. Bill Greenwalt, senior fellow at the Brent Scowcroft Center on International Security at the Atlantic Council, former deputy undersecretary of defense for industrial policy. It's good to see you, my friend. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. The 5% cut to the fourth estate is striking to me because uh, you and I talked before we went on the air. People have been trying to do this for probably as long as there's been a fourth estate, and and here we have a, at least a request that's trying to actually do it. True, but but and yet the fourth estate keeps growing. Yes, and 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 every every year either Congress is looking for management efficiencies or the past administrations are looking for the same, and it seems like we're we've been cutting this five to six billion dollars for quite a long time. And it doesn't ever seem to actually <laughs> go away in the documents the president signed. What's do you see anything different here this time around, or does this look the same to you? is what you've seen in the past. I, I think there, there's a, there's a there, from what I'm hearing, there is an effort to actually put some things on the table that are gonna make some tough choices for Congress to make. The problem with this 5.7 billion is Congress is gonna to have to make those choices. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, there's a constituency for every one of these cuts and that is extremely difficult to get through. There's gonna be calls to plus it up from somewhere else and get the money from somewhere else and, and we'll just see how it goes. So the, that description is striking to me because it implies that it's, it's kind of boxed people who don't want to increase the defense budget into a corner. If they're going to have to make these tough choices, the only other choice is to fund everything that everybody wants. And that winds up being a pretty substantial increase to what the top line is that everybody's already agreed on through this budget deal. I mean, this 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 is this is going to be very difficult, and I think they're, they're, the Congress is going to have to be looking for different ways of plussing up, not just if they want to do tooth to tail, but there's also uh, shipbuilding and there's also uh, F-35s that they've plussed up. Last year there was 3.8 billion in rescissions uh, that that you know adjusted the the, the books. I could see a, a further large n amount just to do some of these things that Congress wants to do. We're all hung up on the budget because it just dropped two days ago. The other issue that you and I talk about all the time and we've discussed for years is the authorization piece of this. At some point in time, the Hask and the SASC are going to have to come to some agreement about how to authorize all of the money that the administration yeah. has requested and that the appropriators appropriate. What do you see as the connective tissue, if anything, to all of that at this point, or is it just too early in the process to think about that? It, it depends on whether Congress wants to get out of town in July. And if that's the case, they will not put difficult issues uh, in, into play, mm -hmm. like they won't deal with the wall. Uh, if they decide to that they're going to debate uh, hard issues and, 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 and generate uh, talking points for a campaign, then we won't see either an appropriation or an NDA until after the election. I think there's a desire to go fast, and so that may 
we may see actually some of those issues be deferred until after the election. After the election. I was thinking September, if, based on the, what you're talking about, but they don't want to be here in September. I, 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 I doubt they would like to accept a pass. If they haven't passed a CR already, it would be a quick CR and, and move on. Yeah, they want to be out in their states and districts in September trying to get themselves and the people they like reelected or elected in the first place. What, what did you see in this budget request that was noteworthy and what was missing maybe that was noteworthy in your view? Uh, I think they, they, they tried to make some really hard choices based on the cap that they had. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in, it, with, with investment coming down uh, on the procurement side, uh, increase in research development in the space, space obviously was the winner, uh, C4I was, was a winner, and shipbuilding and ground systems uh, and a few other mission support areas were, were, were the overall loser. Bob and I talked about the fact that this document will look dramatically different when it gets back to the president's desk than it did when it came out of OMB. What do you think the biggest differences are likely to be? Yeah, no, I, th I think they, the, you'll, you'll see a plus up in shipbuilding. I think you'll see a plus up in, uh, uh, in aviation, F-35. Uh, I think they'll, 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 Congress will look really hard at the cuts uh, that were made. And uh, some of them they may take, and some of them they may, may defer. There's a lot of shift in, uh, in missile defense funding. Uh, and then finally, uh, an overall shift in the, the 050 account, uh, the larger defense funding, is this shift to NNSA, about a $3 billion plus. I think Congress will look at that pretty closely as it's, well. It, I'm fascinated by the kind of the wave of discussion from all th of the branches about ditching legacy systems. The Army kind of led with it, I would say, two years ago when they started talking about uh, the Big Six and what the next generation of stuff looked like. I mentioned in the headlines at the beginning of this program, the Air Force is thinking how they can scale back on KC-10s, KC-35s, B-1s, and other platforms. Uh, they've wanted to get rid of the A-10 for five years now or, or longer. Um, what's driving that? Is it just the the national defense strategy? Is it also budget? Is it some combination? Is it something that I'm missing? I think it's a combination, but, uh, but, but primarily it's a budget exercise. In other words, those systems require a whole lot of uh, tail to, uh, to support. The problem is, is we've, we've seen Congress won't let these systems be uh, 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 take, taken out of, out of the inventory, and because of that, uh, that uh, tooth-to-tail ratio continues to expand. The programs that wouldn't die. Bill Greenwald, thanks for coming on. You're always my, my, friend. my pleasure. Up next, the new cybersecurity maturity model certification. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what it will cost to get certified and what it means for small businesses. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The Defense Department's plan to roll out cybersecurity maturity model certification is underway. Companies are on a strict timeline to comply, but some companies are still playing catch up from the last set of cybersecurity standards the department issued. Corbin Evans is Director of Regulatory Policy at the National Defense Industrial Association. Corbin, thanks very much for coming on. What are your members telling you that they are concerned about or they're watching, paying attention to about the rollout of the CMC, CMMC? Sure. Well, thanks for, thanks for having us. Um, we're hearing a lot about um, the timeline mm -hmm. related to um, 
when exactly are they going to need to be in compliance with this regime. Um, and DOD has, has outlined um, exactly what their thoughts are on rollout. Um, we're looking to get about 15 contracts, I think, in place this year, calendar year, mm -hmm. um, that have CMMC included within them. Um, but also our members are concerned about the cost of compliance. What's their ability to comply with the um, regulations? What is their um, ability to pass the cost along to the government? Mm -hmm. How much will the government be paying for this program? And ultimately, um, will this impact their ability to continue to do business with the Department of Defense? Is what you're hearing or the level of emotion about which you're hearing it different based on where the companies fall in kind of the hierarchy of the DIB? So that's an interesting question. I think that we're starting to hear it from every shape and size. Mm -hmm. I think um, the idea behind CMMC that it requires every company within the defense supply chain to be certified at either level one, you know, or up to level five. Um, people are concerned, our, our smallest companies um, are, are certainly concerned because their flexibility and ability to, um, to pay for you know, and absorb these costs associated with complying with the program, they're really worried about that. Um, and then the, the larger companies are certainly worried about, um, they have these large ecosystems mm -hmm. um, in which they conduct business. How will that exactly operate within the CMMC system? Are they have to gonna have separate certifications? Are they gonna have company-wide certifications? Obviously that has uh, co cost implications as well. What's your sense of the level of comfort that companies have with the fact that certification will actually deliver the supply chain security results the department wants. So that's an interesting uh, uh, piece as well. I think that um, we have a pretty good um we have a pretty good conception of uh, what exactly the CMMC standards consist of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, previous standards included in the NIST 171 standards that um, have kind of been in, on the books here for a year or two. I think people feel that those are effective in thwarting some of our cyber adversaries um, and keeping them from, you know, getting into their systems and stealing some of this valuable data. So I think that this is a, certainly a step in the right direction in achieving actual security. Mm -hmm. It's really that implementation piece um, that companies are most worried about. And to that end, it strikes me that one of the things that companies probably are thinking about, correct me if I'm wrong, is the fact that as dynamic as the threat landscape is, will what I have to comply with to achieve a certain level change over time as well? Yep. Maybe I'm certified level two today, but am, if I keep doing what I'm doing, what do I have to do to stay certified at yeah. that level? So I think we're going to certainly see the CMMC standards themselves evolve over time. And DOD has been transparent that they don't expect this to be a static set of standards. Mm -hmm. Of course, that you know has companies concerned, well, all right, what, are, what will the additional cost be as mm -hmm. I'm kind of moving through this program? But I think they're mindful of the fact that the adversary is evolving as well. The threat, especially in cyberspace, is continually evolving, and that will require additional controls and requirements to kind of be updated to ensure that that data is continually protected. The original concern of the department a long time ago was that uh, adversaries, particularly China and Russia, would use vulnerable companies in the defense industrial base as entry points to try to gain some kind of cyber advantage or, or conduct cyber espionage. Has this gone beyond that, or is that still your sense that the companies still understand or believe that that's the primary focus of this effort? Yeah, so I th certainly think it's a combination between um, folks that are that are targeting, um, you know, your large prime actors, um, you know, that kind of have the crown jewels. Mm -hmm. um, I think certainly those are still your your most target-rich environments, but also those those lower supply chain members are the folks that have typically had the most vulnerabilities. Um, we've recently conducted a survey um, available on our website for folks um, watching to 
take. Um, but really kind of gives us uh, a good insight into exactly what those lower tier um, individuals have in place security protocol wise mm -hmm. and we're certainly seeing that um, their security systems at least in its current state are not nearly as robust and so certainly um, uh, have the ability um, or potential vulnerabilities to be um, attacked from those foreign actors. What are some of the other kinds of questions that you want that you're asking what kind of information? Yeah are you so uh, for? so we're looking at what um, you know what people are doing to comply with the current standards mm -hmm. um, and I think what we're finding is only about 45 percent um, of especially of those lower tier suppliers are currently in compliant with the NIST 171. Not standards. because they're not trying, but just because it's a process. That's exactly that right. Um, it's certainly a process. We've only had these standards on the books here um, for you know uh, a short period of time, mm -hmm. um, and companies it really requires them to reconfigure the way that they do business, hire new personnel to to track and incorporate these standards um, and practices into the way that you do business. Um, you know, the way that I think it touches uh, most people's lives most directly is two-factor authentication. Um, just implementing that within a large business, um, you know, even, even our small businesses can have hundreds of employees, um, and implementing that across the board um, is a significant emotional event, I think, um, as they try to, uh, try to move that forward. I like that term significant emotional event, Corbin. Yeah. Thanks very much for coming on. All right, appreciate it. If you've missed the show or you're on the go, you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Government Matters is available now as an audio podcast. You can sign up to get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or just ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. I'm back in two minutes. The West 2020 Conference celebrates 30 years of bringing military and industry leadership together this year. It features military and civilian leadership, three engagement theaters covering a lot of different topics. West 2020 is at the San Diego Convention Center March 2nd and 3rd. You can get more information and register at govmatters.tv slash events. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.